Welcome to Entrench, a 21 Pilots podcast. Hello, local dreamers. Welcome to Entrench. My name is Anna, and this is episode 58, The Judge. Make sure you've listened to the song beforehand and are ready for an in-depth analysis of track 7 off Blurry Face. Welcome back. Nice to... I was going to say see you, and I was like, nope, and then I was going to say hear you, and then I was like, nope, but um, thanks for being present with me. (laughs) That's pretty much all I can say. Um, Yeah, I hope you're doing well, and if you're not, I hope that you have some people or reminders around you for positive coping with whatever you're going through, because that is very important in any scenario scenario be like i'm saying it the british way so i wanted to first start with a little aside um which i will do anytime i receive email or anything with additional fan analysis so i was very happy to get an email from alex and he responded to my lane boy lyric analysis and specifically the lyric i was unsure about the meaning when he says let's go back to this who would you live and die for on that list compared to spiritual list and i didn't really know what list it was referring to and according to alex which i think is very true um, it references ride and specifically when he says who would you live for who would you die for and would you ever kill and that makes a lot of sense that it's the live and die theme that's threaded and called back to So thank you, Alex, for pointing that out and just reminding me how much I love a good callback moment. So there you go. If you guys ever have additional thoughts as well that I did not cover or missed or just have a differing perspective, that's completely fine. And I would absolutely love to hear from you in terms of your spiritual analysis because, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And um, I love that it can be a way to not only analyze the band more together but also a way to spiritually grow together and find new ways to apply our faith next to art which is like one of my favorite things to do obviously so let's dig into the judge it is very multifaceted but first with the background just wanted to share that the judge is recorded in london and produced by mike crossy And the track was mixed at the Casita in Hollywood and mastered at Sterling Sound in New York City. So I just was surprised by all of this that the judge really made its way around the world and across the nation before getting to our ears. So thank you everyone, because I'm sure everyone is listening (laughs) who was involved. But yeah, I just think it's so cool, like, the amount of love and care and people who go into producing even one song, especially as I've learned more about mixing and sound. Um, I'm very extra appreciative, I suppose, to the people who make that possible. So let's dig into the song. Um, I feel like I, I realized, generally speaking, as I was looking at the Blurry Face track list again, the first half of the album was very music video heavy, and now the second half of the album, there's basically no music videos. So, just it was, didn't even I didn't even realize. But yeah, the Blurry Face album is very video heavy in the first half. 
So, fun fact. But my analysis with this song is honestly all over the place. There's a lot of layers. There's specifically a lot of ways you could spiritually analyze this. So bear with me as we dig through multiple layers, some of which will contradict each other a little bit. But also, I think it's a cool way to consider that that any type of textual analysis, it can be interpreted so many ways, just like a poem. And I just think that's cool. So that being said, I'm going to start with the music. I don't always do this, but I have a whole page here of my thoughts or at least observations, some are more deep than others, of just the music aspect of this song and the narrative and spiritual connections. And then I have my various interpretations of the lyrics, really just two different interpretations of the lyrics. Um, One based more on the tone of voice we know him to sing it with, and the other based more on as if I was just reading it as a poem. Yeah, it's very intriguing, so I hope you're excited, because I'm probably about to say some pretty um, crazy things that you never considered, because I blew my own mind when I first thought about all of this. So, let's dig into the music of The Judge. Um, it starts off with this buzzing, as we know, to be a very common sound prior to sounds coming through amps, especially. And then we have this like swirling, whooshing sound. I think of everything as like verbs and narrative and images. And it very much gave like Pride and Prejudice. Not even, it wasn't even the title sequence, but um, I think it might just be the DVD menu where (laughs) she's just standing on this cliff and like the wind is like blowing. It very much gave me Pride and Prejudice vibes, but it very much feels, if nothing else, like you're standing in the wind and... Because of that, in my mind, that immediately is associated with, like, standing in a high place, such as a cliff, even if it's metaphorically as well. Of course, it doesn't even have to be literally, um, but perhaps that as well, if it was more mental health focused in that way. And so the tone musically is very much set up to be this introspective setting where there's a lot of silence and... In a way, it almost gave me this image of when Jesus is in the wilderness and being tested by Satan. Um, Even just this picture of standing in silence with a lot of wind and... Yeah, I don't know. It just, it very much immediately, probably because of my own bias, already knowing the song, gave me very spiritual imagery. So, then we have the ukulele, which comes in with the singing of the nas and the o's, and it feels very meditative, like... We're still not speaking real thoughts, but we're kind of forming some sort of rhythm and pattern and structure for ourselves as we go about contemplating and facing whatever it is that's before us. As he says, I found my way right time on place in the pre-chorus. We have the drums, guitar, and bass all added in. And then with the chorus, as he starts saying, you're the judge, oh no, set me free. We have the piano and organ also join in. And I love how so often like the piano to me is what's most closely associated with Tyler. And I like how it's oftentimes like added in in the chorus or like the main punchline. Um, it kind of feels like this underlying layer of, of Tyler. 
on top of him already literally speaking the words and i just noted that he goes high vocally when he says free which is very much alluding to this feeling of ascending with the liberty of christ and i like how as especially in verse two he's speaking on some imperfections and even potentially failures that he possesses um, there's bass drops that emphasize these various characteristics to again similar to the lame boy video give some sonic or visual emphasis to the words and give a bit more of a visual than just the words alone the bridge has a lot of accents in the dynamics and in that way very much feels like punches and warfare there's clearly in regardless of what interpretation we're taking a lot of spiritual warfare happening in this song which is also clearly communicated in some of the lyrics. And as the lyrics end, and it does that like repetitive noise, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, um, it kind of feels like you're reeling from being hit, like you're boxing, and they were like punching at each other, and then it ends with being absolutely like stunned from a really hard punch. And then it goes into this slow-mo, which I kind of took to be a little more courage of like, yeah, you're reeling from this huge thing, feels like you're losing. Then all of a sudden it kind of feels like that moment in a movie where you think the protagonist is going to lose, but all of a sudden they like get their last wind again. And then as it goes back into the piano line, it feels like, no, like we're, we're gaining confidence again. And again, that piano identity with Tyler is like the solidification of of knowing who he is despite the doubt and and what he's going after and his identity in Christ and as the Nas and the O's come back in again I think it very much is reminiscent of the Holy Spirit's groaning as I, I mentioned again in the scripture or the <laughs> scripture as I mentioned again in the lyrical analysis but yeah even in like joy not just in hard times the I feel like the spirit can still groan for the magnitude of the emotion and even the state of being. And then the ending was really intriguing to me. So Josh's symbols crash out and then very, very faintly, I never noticed it before. There's this teeny tiny sound that could signify blurry face. It's just like one second this teeny tiny riff that's like the beginning of heavy dirty soul and in that moment it's like even though it like swelled to this victory and confidence in that teeny tiny moment the evil is still present and because of that right after that teeny tiny sound the rest of the song is this not just this piano fading out in my mind to represent tyler but it's also like this muffled sound and it almost feels like you're watching Tyler and in that way it feels like you're ending it from blurry faces perspective of like yeah you think you won but I'm actually still watching you right now and, and planning my next attack and it was very much this very eerie I it was funny I was like I think I just got shivers shivers <laughs> but not actually because I had a heated blanket on at the time <laughs> But yeah, I, I encourage you to like take what I just said and re-listen to the ending of that and tell me that it's not 
eerie. <laughs> I thought that was very eerie. And it should be eerie, okay? As we go into lyric analysis now, like, these types of things should be eerie because real evil is genuinely eerie. Just like God's not playing evil and Satan and all of it, sin is not playing either. And if you don't believe me, just read the screw tape letters. Like, that's all. That's proof enough. This stuff is real. So let's go into the lyrics now and my spicy takes. Not really, but um, I'm about to... <laughs> probably not, but in my mind, I'm about to blow your mind with multiple interpretations. So as we know, we start with our good old Nas and our O's. In case you didn't know, maybe, maybe I mentioned this before. You know, I'm at the point in this podcast where I'm probably going to mention things again that I've said before, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but either way, maybe you forgot since I mentioned it before, or maybe I didn't mention it before. Um, this is something called the millennial whoop. It is just something I learned in college that has stuck with me <laughs> for several years. So basically, there's this trend for a long period of time where, and really still, like, I don't, I don't think it's done. I don't think it ever will be done. Um, but anytime you're, like, singing along to something that's not actually words, like Nas and O's together, it's called the millennial whoop because anyone can sing along to it. And it's, it's catchy because it doesn't require much brain power to do it. And so, of course, it's, it's a popular, fun tool that artists like to use. That being said, that's that's not my analysis, but <laughs> fun fact. So with this, I kind of similar to the music analysis, I felt like this was very much finding your footing. When you don't quite know what to say yet, you can at least start with making sounds, and then that can kind of build that momentum into thoughts and structure for words. And as I just said, with the spiritual groaning, I specifically thought of Romans 8, 26, um, which you can reference in your preferred translation. So then we go into verse 1. When the leader of the bad guys sang something soft and soaked in pain, I heard the echo from his secret hideaway. He must have forgot to close his door as he cranked out those dismal chords, and his four walls declared him insane. So I think it's evident in the fandom that the leader of the bad guys is Blurry Face, but I, I take Blurry Face to basically be the same thing as Satan. So when Satan's saying something soft and soaked in pain, I think it's really important and, again, tells a lot about Satan that it's both soft and soaked in pain. Satan is nothing if not alluring, and I feel like softness is generally attractive and alluring, Compared to if he, if, if he was just singing very abrasively, that would, that would not be intriguing at all. That would probably be off-putting. <laughs> and soaked in pain. And I think this emphasizes that he very much understands human weaknesses and is really great at manipulation due to his self-servitude. And, you know, really, I, I immediately thought of, like, his past was that he, he was an angel, but then he became a fallen angel because, you know, I don't really know if I fully know why, but he, he did. <laughs> but I feel like it's because he, he felt that his, his way was better than God's, and, you know, that's very much a lie that many people believe in, that he's really good at manipulating and convincing humans of, maybe even you or me. 
you know, I think, yes, definitely, I would say that for myself in the past. I feel like at our core, we're just very self-serving. I feel like everyone's probably lived that narrative at at some point in their lives um, prior to Christ. Even if it's just you being a child and not rationalizing and screaming at your parents. (laughs) Yes, so we have this evil dude, and he's alluring, and he's very sympathetic and ready to manipulate you and he says i heard the echo from his secret hideaway he must have forgot to close his door an echo to me combined with the fact that it's secret it's clearly wherever he is is hidden it's not obvious but also because there's an echo it just reminded me of like a a crevice (laughs) sorry if that word makes you uncomfortable i think it's a funny word it, it kind of reminds me, like, again, similar to the standing on a cliff theme with the music, the idea of an echo immediately reminded me of, like, a canyon or something that has, again, like, a deep crevice from which the sound can reverberate. So it kind of, in my mind, it kind of brought the visual of, like, it's drifting up from this very deep, dark place, which he's hearing it from. But it also feels like, I don't know, from from the narrator's perspective, it's like, he must have forgot to close his door. But really, if you think about him and, and his intentions and his motivations, but I don't think it's far-fetched to say he probably didn't forget. It was probably intentional, and he probably wanted to be heard. Kind of like a siren. He wants to lure people to their death. That is truly his goal for worse or worse (laughs) yeah so i i really don't think i'm not buying that he forgot of course it seems that way from the other perspective but i really am not buying that because no he's literally the leader of the bad guys why would he be doing anything like the idea that he meant to close his door like i don't know i'm probably reading too far into it but (laughs) <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. I don't think I finished my train of thought. Sorry, guys. Like, if nothing else, he probably meant to keep the door open because he was lonely. You know? Kind of seems like he's in the secret hideaway where his four wheels declared him insane. Like, come on. It's not, it's not boding well for him to be in isolation. But anyway, he must have forgot to close his door. Supposedly. Quotation marks. <laughs> As he cranked out those dismal chords, and his four walls declared him insane. So this, to me, tells me that he's usually confined and secluded. And that's probably because he's incredibly dangerous, which also kind of makes me feel like he didn't forget to close the door, and it's kind of like a Pandora's box situation. He's, he's very willing and eager to come out now that it's open, or lure someone in, either way. It's just not... It's not boding well. And of course, application-wise, like, I... There's there's very much times where we're going to be more susceptible to lies and temptations than others, let alone, like, the temptation to take matters into your own hands and think that you got this and you don't need to rely on God so much, or whatever it might be, or that you don't even need God, period. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I feel like generally, the, at least for my life, like, the more I find myself neglecting 
spiritual habits, the more likely I'm probably going to be to be susceptible to the tricks of the devil because I'm not consistently intaking truth and real identity. So I don't know, find find ways that work for you. I mean, obviously I think it's kind of a lifelong thing, right? Because sometimes we go through dry seasons. It is a normal part of human life and our imperfection. But find ways to the best of your imperfect ability to kind of get as many pulse checks as you can on like your spiritual habits because truly we can slip away so fast and, and not realize maybe the extent of the damage of that until it's like really bad, you know, similar to like therapy. Like don't wait till it's really bad, which is ironic because at least for me, it's like when I'm doing really well, that's usually the time when the habits slip the most. You know, it kind of reminds me of the cockiness of, like, people with four-wheel drive. Just think, you know, I have four-wheel drive so I can drive as fast as I want in the snow. And it's like, no, you're not. That doesn't mean that you're invincible. (laughs) It's just a fact. Just because you're doing well doesn't mean you don't still need God. (sighs) Or that you don't still need regular spiritual routines. So, that was first one. Going into the short little pre-chorus, I found my way, right time, wrong place, as I pled my case. And this, folks, is where we get my interpretive dichotomy. So, the first interpretation is that he found his way. He discovered his truth by perhaps pity, perhaps just secret observation of Blueface slash the devil. And even though he's in this, this wrong place near him, he is able to see some layer of the unattractiveness to the lies, and because of that, is able to then reckon with his salvation versus his sins, as he then turns around and pleads his case to God. But secondly, we could go a lot darker, and this is where I was like, whoa. So we have this scene set up in the previous verse. It's very, honestly, very well written. It's very very vivid scene. If we take this and then directly go into, I found my way, right time, wrong place. It kind of feels like, okay, he is looking, he he found his way, right time. He's desperate, looking for help. He's looking for help from God, but wrong place. He then enters into a room looking for help from God, but instead is met with blurry face or the devil. And he's pleading his case, Still for the same reasons, but uh-oh, let's go into the chorus. It's not who I thought it was, which makes, oh no, have a new meaning. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so the chorus is, you're the judge. Oh no, set me free. I know my soul's freezing. Hell's hot for good reason. So please take me. If we continue with the more negative interpretation that I was just talking through, he's Claiming that you're the judge, because again, he he was going desperately to look for help from God with this realization, and is saying this to God as he's pleading his case, and then I'm envisioning the devil turning around from the piano, and he's like, oh, oh no, you're not who I thought you were. Um, I had a serious error in judgment. I, I took a wrong turn somewhere. As is how this always happens, genuinely, spiritually. 
Um, we take a wrong turn, then we take a few other wrong turns, and wait, how did I get here? Uh-oh, <laughs> oh no. It reminded me of Phoebe Buffay from Friends when she's like, oh no. <laughs> I could hear her in this moment. But he's also saying, set me free at the same time. And it kind of feels like he's simultaneously like, I'm facing the devil. I'm, I'm not where I thought I was. But also simultaneously praying for rescue from God. And then I know my soul's freezing, how's hot for good reason, so please take me. Kind of again, this juxtaposition of I know that hell could be a warm temptation to ease this temporary pain and, and freeze that I have, so please take me. It's like he's simultaneously praying and saying, set me free, but then he's also saying when I'm actually being really entranced by this manipulation. So the first interpretation is that <laughs> both the desire for God's freedom and the entrancement of manipulation is happening at the same time. At the same time, consider that. Okay, then we have the much more digestible interpretation of the chorus where he's speaking to God saying, you're the judge. I am powerless and also steeped in humility right now, realizing that I am in the presence of perfection and complete sacredness, and I am but a worm, and I, oh no, like I am, I'm not worthy to be here and stand in front of you right now, but please have mercy and set me free um, as only you can, and really, in a way, kind of depicting the gospel very much in this chorus. I know my soul's freezing, hell's hot for good reason, very much shame. Really, I feel like in this context would be righteous shame for his failure to reflect God in nature, attitude, and action, and then still acknowledging that hell has this allure for a quick fix, but he says, so please take me because I know that this evil has an allure. Please accept my repentance and bring me into your fold as quickly as possible because of how strong this temptation is. We move into verse 2. Three lights are lit, but the fourth one's out. I can tell because it's a bit darker than the last night's bout. I forgot about the drought of light bulbs in this house. So I head out, down a route, I think is heading south, but I'm not good with directions and I hide behind my mouth. I'm a pro at imperfections and I'm best friends with my doubt. And now that my mind's out and now I hear it clear and loud, I'm thinking, wow, I probably should have stayed inside my house. Is that not the introvert's cry? <laughs> so starting off, we got three versus four. And I think the first thing that easily comes up for a lot of people is the oat to sleep parallel of, this is denial number four, which played off of Peter's denials to Jesus. Not to Jesus, but about Jesus. To me, I mean, I think that's a perfectly good interpretation, but I'm going completely different to basically an entirely visual interpretation. So let me paint a little picture for you. So the first half of the song, lyrically, poetically, is this image of coming into contact with evil. 
and having all this spiritual warfare. Now, whether that was literal or symbolic, I don't know, but I feel like in this moment, we're in a different scene where you're like lying down in your bed and you're looking up at your ceiling lamp and there's four lights, but you notice that one of them's out. And it's also both literal and symbolic in this sense. You're noticing, huh, that's different. <laughs> um, and I, I imagine that you're lying on your bed because you're once again brought to prayer out of desperation. Maybe even never even left your bed because you're depressed and have no energy for anything other than lying there and praying and staring at your lights. And he goes on to say, I can tell because it's a bit darker than last night's bout. I forgot about the drought light bulbs in this house. <laughs> but all that to say, it's, it's very much proof that he's realizing, oh, there is a lot of spiritual warfare going on. I, I didn't even realize that like the fourth light was out and I was weaker in this moment and there were a few truths that I couldn't quite see going into this scenario. Like maybe yesterday when it was a little little brighter, I had a lot more confidence in my identity in Christ than today. There's a light out and I'm a lot more susceptible to the darkness and to not being able to see all the truth of what's there. Again, kind of this idea of like you can easily start spiraling and not realize how far away you've gone from God until you're in a complete drought of light bulbs like in this scenario. And so because of that, you head out, down a route, you think is heading south, but again, you're already missing some truths going on, so you're not even going the, the right way. Um, and I think this is very much portraying how you're trying to muster your own strength to fix problems. Probably because there's a layer of guilt and shame, for sure, but also... I think pride is a huge piece and not wanting to accept that you need help. So you're just going out there to try to fix the problem, even though you can't do it on your own. And you still haven't like fully realized how far gone you are, literally. And then you try to do even more on your own. And that's when it kind of hits you for better or worse, <laughs> but mostly for better. So because of the consequences of trying to do it on his own, he's not go with directions, um, hides behind his mouth, prone imperfections, best friends with doubt. Yeah, all of that to say, not well equipped to handle spiritual attacks, especially given the weaknesses. Clearly not meant to do it alone, and also because of all these things, lacking confidence. And I think all of these things are also important to note in your mental health journey too because if you're lacking confidence um, you're going to be a lot more susceptible to triggers hardship really really important to build up self-confidence for basically everything i had to learn that the hard way but it's made a world of difference to focus so much on self-confidence it's helped my mental health so much it really is such an important foundation and can be underestimated for sure but also, of course, this is invaluable to remember as a Christian. There's going to be times where you simply just 
don't have you don't have the spirit to be able to handle what's going to be thrown at you and that's when in our weakness we can lean on god and also community and especially when we're lacking confidence we can unashamedly receive it from others especially when we can't give it to ourselves whether it's self-love whether it's um, value of life whether it's fleetingness of fear you know all these different stems of our various mental illnesses it goes on and repeats of course the things that we've already analyzed and then the final lyrics that we will discuss are the bridge says i don't know if this song is a surrender or a revel i don't know if this one is about me or the devil and this repeats so first we have the surrender versus revel point and surrender here is in reference to trusting god of course and trusting his goodness and also trusting that because of that human imperfection is part of accepting that surrender and and what it means to surrender is also admitting that you need god you need someone who's not you to be god of your life versus whether this song is a revel and i like that this contrast kind of goes into the two interpretations that i had of the various lyrics um so in contrast to whether the song is mainly about trusting and accepting imperfection and sin reveling is about wallowing in and glorifying sin and temptations as well as the allurement of evil very much like soaking in as much as you can it kind of feels very like gluttonous to revel to put emphasis and stock in all the wrong things essentially and then goes on to question if if this is about me or the devil is the focus really in this song on his faith and his hope and the ways that it's been transformed through grace and mercy or perhaps the song is more about shame and pride and how it's so much easier to turn to temptations the lyrics bring this uncertain tone which then bleeds into the music that follows as i kind of gave that boxer imagery before in this scenario given the lyrics we've already been talking about it this time in the uncertainty context it brings a little more of this for lack of a better term drunken-esque stupor to the after chorus where it's kind of like i'm entrenched in uncertainty lack of confidence lack of truth potentially even wrongdoing and because of that i'm very confused i don't really know what's what and also that kind of brings the question of of whether what's kind of happening here non-verbally is possibly a numbing and an avoidance of what could or could not be happening because the questions are are looming so large and um, the root is potentially fear behind not knowing which side am i leaning into more which side feels like it's winning and the way that it can genuinely be so confusing with spiritual warfare in so many ways because both sides do have power in in different ways certainly not the same amount of power but it would be foolish to to say that there's only power on one side because that's that's not accurate either and then of course 
we can't not mention that he sneaks Josh Dunn's name in the lyrics, as he should, as he should. And, of course, I just ended saying this is also his grip onto community, that this isn't just about working through spiritual warfare on your own, but you definitely need community, and if nothing else, the reminder of Josh Dunn is a good reminder that no one can do it alone, no matter where you're at with your faith. Even if you feel like all light bulbs are on, we certainly could not do anything without the other limbs and body parts of Christ, which are the church. So, I am so curious. This was such an intriguing, varied analysis for me. I'm so curious what your reactions are. Um, feel free to email me, DM me. I am I'm, I'm just so curious what you think of these visuals. I'm sure it's overall more a positive interpretation, but I just think it's it's such an intriguing way to consider spiritual warfare with the other interpretation too. I mean, either way, he's ultimately on, you know, trying to follow God. It's more of a question of like how deep down the temptation hole did he go? And depending, I think it just, it brings an extra tension and juxtaposition to what we're actually singing when we sing this song. And that's why it was so intriguing to me to consider the darker narrative. Because, like, even just in and of itself, like, it is true. We can really, like, genuinely think something is is good. And then all of a sudden, like, nope, I was completely wrong. (laughs) Whether it's, like, a sin, a habit, a opinion... It could be so many things. It could be anything. Yeah, you can just realize, oh no, I I was just looking at a fake facade of something that is real, but what I was focusing on was not real. And yeah, like that is very jarring. It does very much feel like like with someone, you you think someone's your mom and then they turn around and it's not your mom. (laughs) That very much can happen, I would say, in spiritual warfare, um, whether or not that is potentially the take here it is important to note so yeah I also am always just so in awe of the way that Tyler threads his songs together like he already alluded to doubt in this song and that's where we're going into next and I don't know if it's always intentional but it's it's so fun to see the way that people not even just Tonyo Pilots can make albums into something like a novel where it kind of feels like chapters that build on each other That's also very much why I love albums so much. So now that I've laid all my thoughts on the table, I really do want to hear from you. I loved hearing from Alex. I love people's added analysis and thoughts because I get sick of hearing my own. Like, come on. I think of these things all the time. I would much rather hear a new perspective. So you can email entrenchedpodcast at gmail.com with a written account of your 21 Pilots story or your favorite memories you have related to the band. You can also reach out with an episode request if you want to analyze a song, video, or album with me. Also, I wanted to add this in April. We're coming up on four years of Entrench, so please feel free to also email me if you have any ideas of how you want to celebrate four years because I would love to do something. I have no idea what day is my anniversary. I don't know if anyone else does either, so we can always just pick a random day and do something fun, or if you just like a special podcast for me to put out, I could do that too. 
So I'm genuinely open to any and all suggestions. So please let me know and I'll probably continue to promote that through March. If you'd like to contribute to the analysis, like I've already said, you can send an email or you can message me on Instagram at entrench underscore pod. You can find Entrench pretty much anywhere, but especially on Podbean, Herbal, and App. Wow. <laughs> Apple Music, Spotify, and Amazon Music. I look forward to hearing from all of you. Tune in next time for Doubt. No doubt. You're going to like Doubt. I'm not saying tune in next time to have Doubt. Um... Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Stay alive and remember, in Trench, you're not alone.